0: From the book of Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 through 10 and from the book of Romans chapter 5 verses 4 through 13. First from Isaiah, a shoot shall come out of, from the stump of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge for the poor and decide with equity for the oppressed of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion will feed together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. And now from Romans. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness, And by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you, for the glory of God for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God, in order that he might confirm the promises given to the ancestors, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: That was a book, um, so I appreciate that. Welcome, everyone, to the second week of Advent here here at Calvary, and it is my privilege to be up here once again um, to bring the Word of God alive to us all this morning. Last week, Sylvester opened up the Week of Hope. And, and we looked at the hope of not just what God has, has done, but the hope of what God is going to do. And, and even praising him and thanking God for what he has, has will do in the future that we know he's going to do. And that takes a, a lot of, of faith, really, for me anyway, to say, God, I thank you not just for what you've done, but I thank you for what you've already done in my future. Um, and this week we're going to move on to peace. To peace, We're going to examine God's kingdom and the peace that that brings. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Then hear this last line, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, come and fill this space. Bless us this morning by your word. Teach us, transform us, convict us. Lord, meet us where we're at. Look into our hearts, delve into our souls, that we might know that you are God and that we might know your peace today. In your name I pray. Amen. It is fascinating to me that one of the main messages every Advent is the message of peace. I find it ironic that this is one of the least peaceful times in most of our lives, right? We are so busy, we are so frantic and hectic and trying to get all the shopping done and it seems like there should be seven weekends in December instead of four just to try to get everything done that you want to do. And the holidays just tend to be one of the least peaceful times in our culture and in our lives. Yet as we come here this morning to celebrate Advent, to experience Advent, to experience again this waiting, this longing, this expectation for Jesus to come once again, we have to reflect on the peace of Christ. We have to wonder why The angels came to the shepherds and they proclaimed glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And I have to wonder did Jesus even come? Did he bring that peace? When is it coming? I look around this world and I see wars and violence and destruction. Where's the peace, Jesus? Where's the peace? So let's look through these two scripture passages that uh, were read. And to kind of understand this idea of peace, and we're kind of going through Advent through the lens of Isaiah, so I encourage you to get into the book of Isaiah and to look at the prophecies of the Messiah, of Jesus coming here. And the first part of the passage that was read has to do with Jesus coming as this new shoot from the stump of Jesse. And to put this kind of in context without getting in deep with it, um, it's really talking about how Jerusalem would be cut off like a tree and there's only a stump left because of their disobedience. But out of that stump, a new shoot would come, a new kingdom would come, a new king would come. And that is Jesus. And it talks about how that new king, that, that Jesus, would be bringing justice and judgment in righteousness. We always think of, of judgment in, in a bad term, but we all want righteous judgment. If you're standing before a, a judge, you want the judge to rule justly and righteously, right? And it says that, that, that Jesus is going to come and bring that. But the second half of the picture of the kingdom of God that, that Jesus is going to bring has to do with peace. I want you to hear these words again. He says, Isaiah says, The wolf shall live with the lamb. By the way, most people think it's the lion shall lay with the lamb. It is not. The scripture says it's the wolf that lays with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid with the baby goat. The calf and the lion will feed together. You can picture a lion and a calf at a trough eating together, Right? Their young shall lie down together. Or, sorry, the cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. A nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the wean child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. We see this amazing picture of what God wants His kingdom to be, what His kingdom will be. Where in all of nature, we see animals fighting and killing each other. Survival of the fittest, all of that. But in God's kingdom, that violence ends. The fighting ends. The killing ends. The wolf no longer hunts the lamb. The lion and the calf, they eat grass grain together. A child can play with an asp. There's peace. There's peace. And this is really a callback to the way God created everything to, to work in the Garden of Eden. And again, I don't have time to go back and, and look at that imagery and everything. But the way God created his, everything to happen in, in the very beginning, he will return it to when Jesus comes in all his glory. And in, in Advent, we long for this we once again are reminded not just that Jesus came as a baby boy initially, but that he's going to come again and his kingdom will come. And there will be a day where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more destruction. It's a beautiful picture. And it's easy to say, I can't wait for that day, but today is not that day. Have you seen the world that's going on? Have you seen all of the death and destruction and the violence and the hatred and all that? Have you seen all that? There is no peace here. And we as a church, we live in this place of tension where Jesus came and he said, the kingdom is at hand and yet the kingdom is here. We live in this place of tension where yes, Jesus is going to come and he's going to rule and he's going to make everything right and the, the wolf will lay down with the lamb yet at the same time the kingdom is already here. In each one of our hearts Jesus is building that kingdom and we are supposed to be kingdom bearers to this world which means we are supposed to live now with this idea of peace that Jesus will bring in the future. We are, as John the Baptist, proclaiming out, make the path straight for the Lord, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is now our task as we come once again in this Advent season. So how are we doing when it comes to bringing God's peace on earth? How are we doing with that? You know, if I look at the church compared to the world, we're not much better when it comes to peace than the world. In fact, if you look at the church's history, I don't know if we can say we're really any better. Violence doesn't always come with weapons in a physical, in a physical nature, but in our hearts, in our words towards one another, our actions towards one another. The second passage that we looked at came from Romans. And Romans, once again, refers to this passage in, in Isaiah. But there are two lines in it that I want you to hear. One is, is commands us, Paul commands us to live in a harmony with one another. Again, remember, remember that picture in Isaiah of all the animals getting along together and even little children being safe with them, right? In harmony. And this is a little side sermon, but I love that it says harmony. It does not say to live in unity with one another. It actually says live in harmony with one another so that we can be unified. It does not say live in melody with one another. For those who are musically inclined, you know the difference between a melody and a harmony, Right? If we all sang melody, we'd all be singing the same notes. But when we're singing in harmony, we're singing different notes, but they all go together to make a beautiful piece of music, right? We as the body of Christ, we as people of the Trinity, we are different, we are unique, but we come together to sing a harmony as one body. And Paul is reminding us of this passage in Isaiah, saying, did you see how beautiful that picture is of all the animals getting along and being in harmony with one another? That is what we are supposed to be with as a church. The second one another commandment out of this passage is to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Live in harmony and to welcome one another. Welcome one another. Be hospitable to one another. When people come into our doors to welcome them, whether you get along with them or not, welcome them. Whether you like them or not, welcome them. We are supposed to be bringers of God's peace here on earth, and it starts in the church it starts in the church. People from the outside should look at Calvary and say they are so peaceful. It's like, it's like nobody really gets at each other. They might disagree about stuff, but they're not at each other's throats. They don't all like each other, but I, you know, I haven't heard any gossip. I don't think there's a church alive that doesn't gossip. <laughs> and I'm guessing we're all guilty of it at one time or the other, Right? The Romans passage ends by saying, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, my prayer is that the peace of Christ would settle upon us today. But I don't want to let you off the hook either because I think there, is, there are moments in our lives where the, God's Peace settles upon us in ways that we can't understand. That peace that passes understanding, right? Where it might be a time of sorrow or a time of chaos in our life, that some way, somehow, we have peace in our hearts about it when we shouldn't. And that is Christ's supernatural peace coming and settling in our lives. But I want to let you know that there's another peace. That's a type of peace that is out there that God has given us, that Jesus when he came on this earth has given us the ability to grasp hold of and we, most of us haven't done it. We are letting this peace slip away. Let me explain about this by using uh, a story true story of the surrender of the civil war. In April 12, 1865, at the Ap- Ap- uh, sorry, Adamatics Courthouse, you have General Chamberlain of the Union had lined up his brigades, three brigades, on the side, both sides of this road leading to the courthouse, ready to accept the Confederate surrender. And they're all standing there, and they're standing there at order arms, which means that they're standing there with a rifle or with their muskets, with a muskets butt on the ground, and they're standing there waiting for the procession of the Confederates to come in, the defeated Confederates to come in. And as General Chamberlain watched the Confederates come in, led by General Gordon of the Confederates, they began to come in, and as General Gordon got to Chamberlain, he saw that General Gordon and his troops were downcast, were defeated. Their face, they were looking down on the ground. They just looked like defeated men, as they were. Well, General Ch- Chamberlain saw that, and it moved him. So he ordered his men to carry arms. And as General Ch- or Gordon got... Right in front of uh, Chamberlain, he's commanded to carry arms. And what that meant is the thousands of soldiers of the Union Army took their muskets and they went and they brought it up right here. And that snap to attention where his men snapped to attention, their their muskets raised, is an act of salute, of respect, of honor that the Union was giving the Confederate defeated soldiers. This caught General Gordon's attention He actually pivoted on his horse and went and gave a salute back with his sword and then ordered his men to salute back to the Union Army. And all of a sudden, the thousands of dejected men rose up, stood up, saluted back, and it was honor giving honor. The victor honoring the vanquished, the vanquished honoring the victors. It was a beautiful moment. Hope of restoration for a nation that had been torn in two. Well, Chamberlain then noticed some commotion and he saw a, a general farther down the line berating the, the Confederate troops, a general, confe- uh, general berating his troops. So he went down to see what was going on and General Chamberlain said to General Wise of the Confederate side, he says, you know, brave men may become good friends. But General Wise said this, you may forgive us But we won't be forgiven. There is rancor in our hearts which you little dream of. We hate you, sir. You may forgive us, but we won't be forgiven. We hate you. And friends, I want you to understand a principle today that is essential to obtaining the peace of Christ in our lives. That peace without forgiveness is just war waiting to break out again. Did you hear that? Peace without forgiveness is just war waiting to break out again. Many of us might not see war in the real sense, but most of us have a war going on in our hearts where we are at war with other people, people who have wronged us or wronged those around us, our our spouses or our kids. And we hold on to that. We won't forgive. We're going to hold them to what they have done. They need to pay for what they did to me. And one of the reasons why the holidays are such an unpeaceful time is because we come back together with family members who have hurt each other for decades. And the nice, joyous time of Thanksgiving or Christmas really is full of tension. This underlying war current that's going there, theres rumblings of hurts and shots that have been fired over the years, that you've kind of called a truce, but you had the same attitude as General Wise. Friends, to receive the peace of Christ, one of the main ways that we do that is through forgiveness. Is forgiveness. Many of us don't have peace in our hearts because we have chosen, chosen not to forgive those who have harmed us those who have wronged us, those who have hurt us. And maybe we need to, on this Advent season, to pause, to stop, to examine our hearts, to figure out what is causing that rumbling, that undercurrent, that w- where we miss out on that peace, identify it and figure out who it is that I'm at war with and go make amends. As a church, we need to do this. When I say Calvary, I'm not just even mean Calvary, but a church as a whole, but also Calvary. Are there people in this church that you are at war with? If you are, you'll never find that peace. We are called to forgiveness, and that forgiveness brings peace. And God's kingdom is one of peace, one of the main reasons of that is because we are called, we are commanded to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. How are you doing on forgiveness? You know, one of the things I've learned in being a pastor for the years that I have and talking to people who have been hurt is forgiveness is one of the hardest things for people to do. It's one of the hardest things. Maybe a little offenses, that's that's fine. But even then, sometimes we just, we might say we've forgiven them, but really we just probably just cover it up and move on. But we have a tally mark in our head against those people. Forgiveness is such a hard thing to do for a lot of people. Primarily because we feel like we're just letting them off the hook and they deserve to be punished for what they did. It's right that they're punished for what they did. I can't forgive them. Or maybe it's because that person hasn't apologized yet. If they come and apologize to me, if they come and if they grovel, I'll forgive them then. Why do I have to be the bigger person? let me give you some tips on forgiveness. And I don't have time. This could be a whole series in and of itself. But let me just give you some tips on forgiveness to maybe help you in this. First off is this. Forgiveness really has nothing to do with the other person. The offender. Forgiveness is a gift that you actually give yourself. It is you opening up and receiving the peace of Christ inside of you by letting letting go of all the stuff that is going on when it comes to unforgiveness. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. Forgiveness is actually a gift that you give yourself. You're not necessarily giving it to the other person. You're giving it to yourself. You're letting yourself be free. You're letting yourself have joy again. You're letting yourself have peace when you forgive the other person. Forgiveness is not letting them off the hook. It's simply taking them off your hook and putting them on God's hook. God's the righteous judge, right? We we saw that in the in the the passage that Jesus' one of his main roles as king is to be that righteous judge. He will be that person. Let him take care of it. You aren't in the best place to be the judge anyway. Take that burden off of you. Give it to God. Let him handle it. Again, forgiveness is not dependent upon the other person, which means it doesn't depend on the other person apologizing or saying they were wrong or anything like that. Your forgiveness does not depend on them. It's not a condition to the other person coming and saying they're sorry. If you are waiting on that, you are just hurting yourself in the process. Forgive now whether they have said I'm sorry or not. Forgiveness is not excusing it away, denying it, but really acknowledging that, hey, this really did hurt. What you did was really wrong and it really affected me. And I'm going to pay that price for a while. But I'm going to choose to forgive anyway. Forgiveness isn't forgetting. We can't do that but it's a willful choice that every time those memories come up, every time that something reminds you and the, and the hurt and the feelings and the pain comes back up to the surface, you say, you know what? I'm ch- I've chosen to forgive them and I'm going to keep choosing to forgive them in the midst of that pain. Forgiveness is not necessarily the restoration of the relationship either doesn't mean that you have to go get along at your family gatherings again and sit and be, be cordial or whatnot. What forgiveness does mean, though, is that maybe there's a start of a restoration of a relationship. That needs to happen over time. But you can, you can gain the peace of Christ inside of you right away. By offering forgiveness. By saying, God, I want to forgive that person for what they did. I can't handle it anymore. I want to put it on you. You deal with it, not me. I'm done. I'm done. I I forgive them. I forgive them. I also suggest this. If you are struggling with someone really hard to to forgive, a situation that's very difficult to forgive, and where you kind of run into those people all the time or whatnot, I I recommend getting a piece of paper something like that, writing down the offense. This is what it did. This is how it hurt. This is what the cost has been. And then I want you to write next to that, I forgive them. I forgive so-and-so. Write their name down. And then put the date and the time there. Then if you want to burn it, crumple it up, throw it away, whatever you need to do, so that any time those memories come up, those, the hurt feelings come up, you can say, you know what, that really hurts, but I know I forgave them at this date and time. And I can have peace. I can have peace. One of the last hurdles when it comes to forgiveness is this. We assume that if I just bury it, if I just don't talk about it, if I move on from it, time will heal those wounds. And that's what we do. We just keep living our lives and keep bearing it. But for those of you who have been in those family, family situations, most of the time, time actually makes it worse. Time does not heal. It It might give us greater perspective at some point in time, but it doesn't heal it and it doesn't give us peace. Forgiveness does that. Forgiveness does that. I know some of you are out there saying, Michael, I get all that. But you don't know what that person did to me. You don't know the horrible things that that person did to me. How am I ever expected to forgive that person? I can't do it. I won't do it. I want to tell you a story. Some of you might remember this situation. In June 17, 2015, in Charleston, South Carolina, a man went into Emmanuel AME Church, joined a Bible study, sat in on that Bible study, and at the end of that Bible study, shot down nine people in a hate crime. Someone they welcomed in in love, And then he went and did such a horrible act. You know, over the course of the last few years, we've seen cities burned to the ground over things like this. Yet Charleston wasn't. This is why I think Charleston wasn't. Because the family members of those victims in that church publicly got together Went to the prison and forgave that man. Offered him grace and mercy. Prayed for him. And a city that should have been torn apart found peace. I don't know what people have done to you. But I tell you, there's peace on the other side through forgiveness. Jesus says to forgive 70 times, seven times, to always forgive. There's never a time when you shouldn't forgive. Why? Because it brings us peace. And it brings peace to his kingdom. And if some of you are out there and you're struggling with the idea of forgiveness, with the idea of grace, then I encourage you to come back to the cross, to remember the cross that we take this infant baby boy in Advent who then grows up and willfully lays down his life so that you and I might have the grace of forgiveness. And as often as you go before God and say, God, forgive me for the things that I have done, offer that same forgiveness to those around you. If you're struggling with grace, go to the source and that is the cross. This morning we will be celebrating communion and coming to the table. And I want you to to hear these words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is bringing back the the picture of Cain and Abel, two brothers who were both bringing an offering to God. One was good and pleasing, one wasn't. And um, Cain had an issue with his brother Abel's. And because of that had an issue with Abel and there was no forgiveness there and then death happened. And this is what Jesus says. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be first reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. God cares a lot about us being reconciled to each other. In fact, before we come to the communion table this morning, maybe it is a good time to hear Jesus' words and say, you know what, I need to stop. I need to examine my heart. And maybe I need to forgive someone this morning, right now, so that I might have the peace of Christ. So, would you do that with me right now? Would you just bow your heads? Holy Spirit, be with us this morning. We want your peace, and we know that you have offered that peace, but we have been fighting it. We've been fighting it because we haven't wanted to forgive. Lord, show us the war that is going in uh, in our hearts. The people that have hurt us, bothered us, annoyed us, even killed our souls and help us to forgive right now. Lord Jesus, we know that we cannot forgive outside of your grace. So please forgive us for the ways that we have not loved you or loved others the way you have called us to love, the way we have hurt and offended. And Lord, if there is a name, if there is someone that we have hurt or offended and we need to go and make amends right now, Lord, put that name on our hearts. Lord, give us your peace. Let us be a people of peace.